God. I don't know about you, but just during praise and worship, it just felt like such a sweet spirit that has descended in this place tonight. And that's the holiness of God. Amen. I just couldn't help but but even when we were just thinking, holy, 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 just how, how, how privileged we are to be, to be able to stand in the holy presence of Jehovah. Amen. We can't ever take that for granted, like Pastor Darrell said, to just be able to bask in his presence. How, what a wonderful thing that is. It's great to see in the house of God, as always, that you have taken the time uh, to just uh, seek God with all of your heart. That's what I believe you do when you come out on Wednesdays, and I pray that God reward you for that, church, that tonight his word, like Pastor Darrell said, wouldn't return in, in your life, but it would accomplish the very purpose that God has sent it. And the reason, you know, the, the truth is that God sends His Word into our lives for different reasons. I pray that, that His will is accomplished in all of our lives this evening. As always, before we go to the Word in, uh, in study, we would just ask the Holy Spirit to uh, anoint us once again, yourself and myself, so that we can receive everything God has for us. God, we just thank You that You are a holy God. We thank you, Father God, that you have made a way even for us to come into your presence, Father God, and that's through your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the blood that has uh, made it possible for us to even come and bask in your presence, Father God. We don't take that for granted. We thank you for it. 
We thank you that because of his blood, we can come boldly before your throne of grace, that we might find help in our time of need, God. And we just praise you for that. We also ask for your anointing now of your Holy Spirit, God, to be upon us. Father God, that the anointing of your Holy Spirit would fill this place, that you would fill my mind, my mouth, my body. You give me the strength and the courage, God, the wisdom, the understanding to bring forth all those things that you've sown into my soul. That you would also give understanding to the listener, Father God, that they wouldn't be confused, but that they would clearly understand the words that you would have me to speak this evening. We hide ourselves, God, tonight behind your cross so that you would be glorified, you would be heard, you would be seen. Against every hindering spirit, every obstacle, every care of the day, Father, we ask that you would protect us from those things so that you would be glorified, that your word would accomplish the very reason that you sent it this evening. So we submit ourselves to you in the leading of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. As you are aware, if you've been with us, we are working through the uh, rebuilding of the gates in Nehemiah chapter 3. We're beginning to come to a close this week. Maybe next week we will will close or depend if the Holy Spirit even expands next week. Uh, but in the next couple of weeks, we're going to close and then move on to another spirit as the Holy Spirit directs. But tonight we are looking at the second of the power gates that are mentioned uh, in this rebuilding series that we're looking at. Nehemiah chapter three, verse thirty one says after him. Malchiah, one of the goldsmiths, made repairs as far as the house of the Nethinim and of the merchants in front of the Mifkat gate, or the inspection gate, and as far as the upper room at the corner. Now, the first clue that we have uh, concerning the meaning of the inspection gate in this uh, particular scripture is found in who actually did the repairs, and that was a goldsmith. A goldsmith is the one that repaired or at least oversaw the repair of this gate and this section of wall. And a goldsmith in those days was an individual who handled precious metals and understood the smelting process or understood the preparation process of such fine metals. A goldsmith was skilled in evaluating and examining the purity of these metals, as well as any precious stones that he would often incorporate into the articles or the items that he would make and present to someone, now, even, even present in the temple or used for the building uh, or the increasing of God's work. But a goldsmith's job was to craft something of great value and he would not present his work or he would not present that item that he made to the one who paid the price unless it had been thoroughly inspected by him and properly prepared for presentation. And what I want you to understand is that in the same exact way, God will not present his people. God will not present his bride to Jesus Christ, who is the groom, unless we have first been inspected. Unless we have first gone through that preparation process, so it is certain that when we are presented to the groom as a bride, that we are of every piece of value that we could be, that we would be properly presented to Jesus Christ, who is the groom. What we need to understand is exactly that's why James chapter 1 verse 27 tells us that we are to keep ourselves unstained from this world. You see, because when we become stained by this world, we're not 
we're not able to be presented properly to Jesus Christ. We're not, we're not able to be presented at full worth and full value to the one who paid the price for us. And what we can never forget is that someone paid a price for our lives, and that was Jesus Christ. The price that he paid was his own life and his own blood that was shed. And so I want you to grasp this and give you an understanding. When it comes to the inspection gate, God's going to do everything that he can in our lives. He'll put us through the fire. He'll put us through the flame. He'll put us through the flood. He'll put us through whatever he has to to purify us so that we can be presented properly to Jesus Christ as the bride of Christ without spot, without wrinkle, without any other blemish in our lives. You see, that's why we can look back at the, uh, we can look back at the valley gate and remember that the reason that God brings us through the valley gate is what? To take out some impurities. He puts us in the fire and He puts us through the flame so that we can be properly presented to Jesus Christ. This is what the inspection gate is all about and we've got to keep that in mind. The Word of God also tells us that we are to present ourselves to God, what? A living sacrifice, not dirty and unacceptable, but what? Holy and acceptable. You see, what that tells me is that part of this inspection gate requires a personal examination of our lives as well. And I'm going to get to that in just a little bit, but this whole purification process isn't just left up to God, and it's not left up to the pastor, and it's not left up to someone else. We are to present ourselves to God, holy and acceptable. Because someone paid a price for our lives, and, and, and when he begins to do that work, we want to make sure that we're that vessel of honor, that we're that vessel that, 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 can, that can satisfy God. And this is what the inspection gate is all about. The reality is, uh, this is what the inspection gate or the Mithcad gate represents. It represents a place where all of us, church, will stand before the Lord for a final inspection in our lives. Not only does God inspect us and expect us to inspect ourselves every day, what the inspection gate reminds us is there is coming a time in our life or our spiritual life where we will all stand before the Lord for a final inspection of our lives. The reality is there will be two different inspections. There will be an inspection that is done at the judgment seat of Christ, which is for all believers. And I'll look at that as we go, and especially next week. But there is also an inspection that will be done at the great white throne of judgment by God himself. That is for the unbelievers, and we'll get into that as we go. But all of us will stand before the Lord for final inspection. All of us will stand before the Lord so he can examine us to see if we are spotless, to see if we are without wrinkle, without without blemish or without any other impurity. We will stand before the Lord so that He can inspect us to see that if we have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. And if He can't find any traces of the blood of Jesus Christ upon our lives, if we have not been washed in the blood of the Lamb, our judgment will be far different than the individuals that are washed in the blood of the Lamb. You see, the reality is everyone, saved and unsaved alike, will stand before the Lord at the inspection gate and have to give an accounting of their lives. We're going to look at that as we go. You see, the inspection gate, church, reveals to us that God intends to review and balance the weight of every single one of our lives. There's coming a time the inspection gate reminds us of the fact, not a myth, but a fact 
that God will review every single one of our lives. He will review our conduct. He will review our words. He will review our thoughts. He will review our behavior. He will review our decisions and the, and the, and the choices that we made in our life. He will review the intentions of our heart that no one else knows except God Himself. But all of us will stand before the Lord and He will, He will, uh, He will do an accounting of our lives. There will be a review. He will put us in what's called the balance. You'll know what that balance is. It's a, it's a set of scales. And He will put our life on the balance. And He will weigh our lives to see which way it tilts. The reality is it will either tilt towards heaven or it will tilt towards hell. It will tilt towards blessing or it will tilt towards curse. It will tilt towards grace or it will tilt towards wrath. And this is what the inspection gate is all about. It's to remind us that we must be prepared not only for the rapture, but that we must be prepared for this inspection and this judgment that's coming. You see, the inspection gate is really an examination gate. It's where every area of our life will be examined by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Not only is it an examination gate, it is a judgment gate. It's where God will dole out... Judgment upon our lives. He will either, it will either be reward or it will either be punishment when we stand before the Lord. And that depends on which two of the the judgments we face. But the reality is, listen to me church, the reality is many people will never ever come to the sheep gate. Many people will never ever come to the fish gate. Many people will never ever decide to open up the old gate and decide to walk on the good way. And they'll continue to walk in the sinful way. There's a whole lot of people that, even in the house of God, that will never dare to walk down to the valley gate in order to have to experience some difficulty in their life. And when the, when the going gets tough, they'll turn their back on God and they'll walk away. The reality is there's a whole lot of people that will never ever walk through the dung gate where you strip off every sin and where the old man passes away and we're raised up in newness of life even in the house or family of God people in the house of God will never visit the dung gate even in the house of God a lot of people will never go to the power gates where they experience the power of the the Holy Spirit in their life or the power of the word of God the fountain gate or the water gate There's a whole lot of individuals that will never even approach the horse gate that we talked about a couple times where they begin to move in power. But every single one of us, no matter what other gate we may have ever established in our life, we will all come to the prophecy gates. No one will avoid it. Every single one of us will have to face the east gate in our life where it is either the the, the rapture or the second coming of Christ. And every single one of us, regardless of any other gate we've ever built, we will stand at the inspection gate of God. All of us. Regardless of what other gate you might have established in your life, these are two gates we cannot bypass. These are two prophetic gates that will take place in our lives, no matter what the world may say, no matter what philosophers may say, no matter what the father of lies might say, we will all stand before God and give an accounting of our lives. Amen. All of us. Like I taught last week, every single one of us will have to face these gates. Romans 14, 12 says, every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. Every single one of us. I don't know if you understand. Every single one of us. No one will be overlooked. 
every one of us will have to give an account of himself to God. And here's what I want you to understand. That when you stand before the Lord, you're not going to give an account for your best friend. You're not going to have to give an account for your wife or your girlfriend or your boyfriend. You're not going to have an opportunity to give an account of, of the person sitting in front of you or behind you at church. You're not going to have to give an account of the so-called hypocrite that has kept you from church. You're not going to be able to give an account of the individual that you chew up sometimes at the dinner table and spit them out because of their behavior. You're not going to, you're not going to have an opportunity to talk about those individuals that have hurt you and wounded you and abused you and spoken all sorts of evil against you they will not be put on the scale with you you alone will be put on the balance that god has set at the judgment seat that he has set at the inspection gate and you alone will be weighed in the balance the only thing that we can take with us to that balance is the blood of jesus christ it's the blood of Jesus Christ. And you can't plead it when you're up there. you got to plead it right now. You can't put it on when you're in the hallway of heaven. you got to put it on right now. And I want you to understand your good works isn't going to tip the scales in your favor. I want you to know your three-piece suit and the amount of money you got in the bank and the house you live in and the car you drive isn't going to tip the scales in your favor. All of your excuses won't tip the scale in your favor. My mommy hurt me and my daddy abused me. My someone else did this. None of it will tip the scales in your favor. The only thing that will tip the scale in your favor, that will outweigh the weight of sin, that will outweigh the weight of wickedness, that will outweigh the weight of the devil and the things of this world, is the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. And no matter what you've done in the past, no matter how dark your deed might be, no matter how vile and wicked you might have been in your life, you may think nothing can move that scale. But all you got to do is put on the blood of Jesus. Woo! And the scale is tipped in your favor. I don't care what the devil has ever told you. You've gone too far. You've gone too low. You've gone too deep. You've wandered too far in the darkness. Until the trumpet sounds, you can still put on the blood of Jesus Christ. And that sin which is like scarlet, the Bible says, will make you white as snow. And listen, when you're white as snow, you become presentable to God. Don't count on your works. Don't count on your good deeds. Don't count on your hallelujahs. Don't count on, on the, the showmanship. Don't count on anything except the blood of Jesus Christ. It's the only thing that will tip the scale in your favor. How many of you are thankful that the scales have been tipped in your favor? Because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. But all of us will have to give an account. 2 Corinthians 5.10 tells us, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one, individually, may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body. Notice that it says, while in the body. The judgment seat of Christ is only for those who are in the body of Christ. It is only for those who have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. Only for those who have received and been grafted into Jesus Christ. This is the judgment seat of Christ. This is one of the two judgments. The, 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 the great white throne 
Judgment is in, in another judgment. Not to, to get off task, but there will be another judgment. The, the second coming is actually, or the tribulation is a time of judgment. But right after the tribulation, there will be a, a, a judgment that takes place there where God separates. And you can read it in Scripture where God separates the goat from the sheep. Where He separates the wheat from the chaff. You see, right after the tribulation, God will look at those that are on the earth. And there will be some individuals that endured until the end. There will be some individuals that did didn't take the mark, that didn't bow down, that didn't yield. During that time of tribulation, there will be individuals that did give their heart to God. Not a lot, but there will be some. And those individuals will be the sheep, the elected that God chose, His chosen people that are still on the earth. They will be the sheep. The rest will be goats, and God will judge them differently. That is one judgment. The, 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 the judgment seat of Christ is another type of judgment, and the great white throne is a third type of judgment. One is for the believers, one is for the unbelievers. And we need to keep that in mind as we go. But all of us will receive what is due Him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. And this refers, church, to all of the believers will stand before the Lord. And I'm not going to get too much into this, because this is the one that I want to talk about next week. This is not where we are judged for our sins, which is which what is what takes place at the great white throne of God. The unbeliever will be judged by their sins. What we need to understand at the judgment seat of Christ, we have all the, the scale has already been tipped in our balance. And now what we will be judged for is by what we have done for the kingdom of God. It's where we will we'll earn our rewards. Some greater than others, some not. Yes, I believe there might be some discipline, and we're told, well, you didn't make the best use of your time. You didn't make the best use of your talents. You could have done this, and you could have done that better. But it is a time where we are rewarded and paid based on what we have done for the kingdom of God. It has nothing to do with our salvation. That's already been sealed by the blood of Jesus Christ because we've received Him and made Him Lord. But the other one is the one that I want to focus on. But I want you to see here that, the, that, that Nehemiah chapter 3 says that from the Nathanium to the high priest, all of them will be judged. When you look at who built it and where they built the wall, that applies to who, who, this, who this is speaking to and who this speaks of. The Nathanium were those who did seemingly menial tasks in the temple. The house of God is filled with individuals who think I'm doing nothing. You know, I think I'm doing menial things. But all of it means something to God. I want you to understand that the, the person that works out there in the yard, like I've taught you before, is just as important to the advancing of the kingdom of God as the person that stands behind the pulpit. But the reality is all of them, from the Nathanum to the priest, from the priest to the peon, you might say, they will all stand before the judgment seat of God, the judgment seat of Christ. They will all give an account, church. The high priest, as you know, is the one, the only one that was allowed into the Holy of Holies. But God makes no distinction between the two when it comes to the inspection gate. Just because I'm a high priest, just because I'm a pastor, just because I have a thousand member church, just because I have a 10,000 member church, that doesn't mean that I'm not going to stand before the Lord and have to give an accounting of my life. The reality is to whom much is given, much more is required. I believe there will be a greater accounting from the individuals who stand behind the pulpit. A greater uh, 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 judgment or a greater uh, weighing will be done for those of higher expectations. To whom much is given, much is required. But the reality is no matter what you've been given, there is something required. 
And God will weigh you in the balance. What I don't want you to forget is that every single one of us, whether you're out there or whether you're up here, whether you're up front or whether you're in back, every single one of us have been called to preach the gospel. And that's one thing God will ask us about. What have you done with my word? What have you done with my son, Jesus Christ? These are the things that we will be asked at the judgment seat of Christ. And that's how we will be rewarded. That's how we will be recompensed, church, or paid for, for what we've done. No one will escape the judgment. No one can detour the inspection gate, whether they're saved or unsaved. All of mankind will stand before the Lord at the inspection gate. Like I said, the saved will be at the judgment seat of Christ. But for those who reject Christ, for those who reject the truth, for those who do not believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, for those who have not yielded their lives to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, for those who tried to enter in by some other way, tried to take some detour, tried to take some other route, tried to follow the path that Oprah says is available into the presence of God, one of thousands of ways to the Lord. Anyone that has tried to come in by any other way than Jesus Christ, the Bible says, they will stand at the great white throne judgment of God. And when they stand there, listen, their fate will have already been sealed. When they stand there, and I'll show you in a minute, they're already called dead. When they stand before the judgment seat of Christ, God already refers to them as dead. There's been a movie out there years ago. It was called Dead Man Walking. It refers to, and a lot of you guys might know, Dead Man Walking refers to those that are on death row. They've already got a sentence. They might be alive. They might be walking. But death is hanging over their head. When it comes to the individuals that come to the great white throne judgment of God, a sentence has already been established on their life. They rejected God. It's too late. They don't have a second chance. They are called Dead Man Walking. In the passage that I'll look at, they're called dead man standing because they're standing in judgment of God. You see, the reality is when you stand before God, you won't be sitting. When you stand before God, you won't be slouching. When you, when you come before God, you're not going to be all casual. When you stand before the King of Kings and you stand before the Lord of Lords, you will be standing in the presence of someone far greater than any four-star general, and you will stand at attention to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And then you'll bow. And then you will confess Him as Lord. And then your fate will be sealed for all eternity. We need to know this, church. We need to understand what the great white throne of judgment is all about. It's for those who have rejected Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And whether anyone has ever built any other gate in their life, like I said, we will all have to enter through the inspection gate. We will all face judgment. Hebrews 9.27 tells us that it is appointed unto all men once to die. And then comes the judgment. It is appointed. Unto every man, every woman, every individual that's ever been born on the face of this globe, it has been appointed unto everyone once to die, and then comes the judgment. There's no way around it. You can't, you can't dissect that and try to theologicalize this. A lot of people try to, but the reality is, once to die, and then you will face the judgment. Listen, the word appoint in this passage means to fix by a decree. It means it's unmovable. It means it can't be altered. It can't be changed. Fixed by decree. Fixed by order. Fixed by a command like as from a king. 
once it's been sealed with the king's stamp, it can't be altered. And what this is saying is that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords has decreed and fixed and commanded that every single one of us that are born will one day die. And then we will face the judgment. You can't outlive this prophecy. You can't outsmart this prophecy. You can't out-negotiate and outmaneuver this prophecy in your life. You, like I, will one day die and then we will face the judgment. And which judgment we face is decided by what we decide today. By whether or not today will be the day of salvation. Decided by the fact of whether or not I will allow the blood of Jesus Christ to wash my life and allow Jesus Christ to rule my life. That's what will decide the destination I end up at. It will decide what judgment I face. To appoint means to constitute, to ordain, to prescribe, and to fix the time and place. So please understand God has decreed and ordered that we will all one day die, like I said, and then we will face the judgment. So not only has God ordained that we will all one day die... He has also fixed a time and a place where we will all stand in judgment. He has fixed a time and a place where we will stand before the Lord for inspection. And it is at the Miftad gate, the inspection gate, which none of us will be able to avoid. That's why we need to be ready. That's why we need to be presentable. That's why we need to examine ourselves on a regular basis, church, because there will come an inspection in our lives. What we have to realize is that there's no second chance once we reach this gate, either of the gates, whether it's the judgment seat of Christ or there, there, there's no second chance once we reach this inspection gate, church. There's no reset buttons. There's no do-overs. If you're into golf, there's no mulligans. You know, like a mulligan. I love mulligans when I play golf because I'm bad. I use, I use a mulligan on every hole. But listen, there's no mulligans. What, if, for those of you who don't know, a mulligan means if your, bit, your shot was that bad, you get to do it over again. The reality is there's no mulligans when it comes to the inspection gate of God. The reality is, church, that is appointed once to die and then comes the judgment. There is no reincarnation where you can try to get it right the second time, and the third time, and the fourth time, and the fifth time. You're not going to come back as a cow. You're not going to come back as a fly. You're not going to come back as some other individual that can live off their sins or try to live a better life. There's no such thing. And if anyone tells you that, they're believing a lie, and they are led by the father of lies. It is appointed once to die. And then comes the judgment. Not twice to die, three times to die, 15 times to die, until you get it right. You got one chance in this life. And I don't care, listen to me, I don't care if you get it right in the last breath you breathe, you still got a chance. The criminal that hung on the cross beside Jesus lived his entire life in sin and wickedness. And in his last breath, he got it right. He had a chance. One stood at the judgment seat of Christ and earned a reward. The other on the other side of Christ went to the great throne, great white throne of judgment. He was condemned to death, eternal death. 
There's always a chance, church, until Christ says there's no more, until God says there's no more. And we need to keep that in mind. We need to understand that there is no purgatory. There is no Middle Earth where you get to work off your sin. There is no, there's no, uh, there's no parole. There's no pardon when it comes to, uh, there, there's no place where you can receive a pardon for, for good behavior where you've tried to work off sin. Right now, you have to get it right. Today is the, the day of salvation. Today is the day you need to get things right because once you and I die, then comes the judgment. We need to keep that in mind, church. We have to understand that we will give an account either in Christ or we will give an account apart from Christ. And that will determine the kind of judgment we face. It's exactly why I said today is the day of salvation, because tomorrow you may face the judge. Today is the day that you have to get it right, because tomorrow you and I might stand in the inspection gate. Right now, Paul said, right now is the time to get it right, because guess what? Tomorrow might not come. You might not have the other opportunity. You might not have that last breath. So today you need to get it right, because tomorrow you and I might face the inspection gate, church. There's nothing we can do to alter that. We must use the inspection gate as a reminder of 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, that says we must examine ourselves. Before God examines us, we must examine ourselves to see if we are in the way. To see if we are in Jesus Christ. To see if we are saved, church. Listen to me. The reality is there's a whole lot of people that claim Christianity who aren't saved. There's a whole lot of... Listen, I I hope you understand me. There's a whole lot of people that think they are on the right path. The Bible says... There is a way that seems right to many, but its end leads only to destruction. There's a lot of people that think they're in Jesus Christ that aren't. There's a lot of people that think they're part of the body of Christ, but they've never made the sacrifice. They've never allowed the blood of the Lamb. They've never surrendered their soul. They've joined a church. They sit in a, they sit in a service. They got their name in, in a roll book. But they've never had their name written in the Lamb's book of life because they've never surrendered to the government of God. I'm not saying that. The Word of God teaches that. Just because I say I'm a Christian, you think that makes me a Christian? It doesn't. Just because I say I'm saved... You think that makes me saved? No. I've got to go through the right gates. I've got to plead the blood of Jesus Christ. I've got to come with a broken and a contrite heart. I've got to surrender my soul to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I've got to step off the throne so God can step on the throne. I must die so He can live. That's what salvation is all about. Salvation isn't about some words you said because a pastor told you to. It's about surrendering your soul to Jesus Christ and making Him the Lord of your life. It's about pleading the blood because you know you need the blood. You understand what I'm saying? It's about pleading the blood because you know you are a sinner that needs God's grace. That's what salvation is all about, church. We are to examine ourselves to see if we are saved. 
We're to look at our lives, church, and see if our lives are characterized by sin and wickedness and unrighteousness. We're to look at our lives to see if our lives are characterized by the things of this world and the things of the flesh, or whether or not they are characterized by the, the things of God, by righteousness and holiness and obedience. And faith and, and all of these things. We need to examine our lives to see if we're, our lives are filled with thistles and thorns or with the fruit of the Holy Spirit. You understand what I'm saying? We need to examine ourselves to see if we are flowing with bitter waters or sweet waters because you can't flow with both, the Bible says. We need to examine our lives to see if we're trying to serve two masters. We need to examine our lives to see if we're serving the God of mammon and wealth and the things of this world, or whether or not we're ex- uh, serving the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That's what salvation is all about. And that's what we need to understand. Salvation comes through the blood of Jesus Christ. It comes through repentance, and it comes through the brokenness of soul. Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and... Listen, I'm going to give you a little teaching here. You confess with your mouth that Jesus is what? Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead. Then you shall be saved. But what you need to understand is this passage is about so much more than a prayer you repeat, like I said. It's, it, it's about more than some empty words you might say. What you and I have to realize is that there's a huge difference between repeating someone else's words and confessing Jesus Christ as Lord over your life. You see, to make someone Lord, you got to make yourself subservient. You understand what I'm saying? This is the teaching I'm giving you. In order to confess Jesus as Lord, you must become subservient to Jesus. You must become subservient to His Word. You must become subservient to His rule. You must make yourself nothing so that He can be something. You must die so that you can live. You understand what I'm saying? This is what Jesus is trying to teach us, church. To make someone your king, you must make yourself their servant. You you, you can't be... Someone can't be your king... Unless you're their servant. You can't have two kings. You can't be equal to God. Jesus, when He came to the earth, listen. Jesus, the Son of God, even though He came in the form of God and could have exercised the authority of God, what did He do? He made Himself nothing. He became a servant of all. He even yielded Himself to a cross. And listen to me. Jesus said, if you're going to come after me, you've got to do the same thing. If you want to call yourself saved, if you want to call yourself my brother, if you want to be part of my family, you got to do the same thing. You got to go to the cross like I did. You got to deny yourself and take up your cross like I took up my cross. That's what salvation is all about. It's not about following someone's prayer. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but there's a whole lot more than you just repeating pastor's prayer. It means I'm about to yield myself to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It means that I'm about to transfer the authority of my soul to the, to the, to the Lord of glory. And not try to live for myself. That's what salvation is about. Listen, the house of God is filled with individuals who think they're saved and they've never yielded themselves to God. That's not salvation. 
I know that might sound hard, but that's not salvation. And those that are not saved will stand at the, the great white throne of judgment. That's why even more we've got to examine ourselves. It's why even more we've got to make sure that we're saved so that we can have that assurance that we're just not going to be in that place of judgment. That we're going to receive a reward, church. Listen, I know that you can be serving God with all of your heart and the devil will come and try to tell you you're not saved. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about examining yourself to make sure, like Paul said, that you truly are saved. That you are truly on the right road. That you're not being deceived. That you're not following the wrong road. Because at the end of the wrong road that so many think is right, it leads to death. It leads to destruction. We need to make sure that we're on the right road, church. We need to understand that we are following in the right path and that our confession is not empty, church. We need to come to that place, church, unless our confession is accompanied by surrender. Our soul isn't saved. I want you to grasp this. Unless our confession is accompanied by surrender, our soul can't be saved. If you and I didn't come to Christ admitting our spiritual bankruptcy, if you and I didn't come to Christ admitting, God, I've got nothing to offer you except a broken, no good soul. You can't be saved. I can't be saved. Unless pride is completely gone and we come to Christ with a broken and contrite heart and say, God, I can't do this on my own. I've got absolutely nothing at this point of my life to offer you. We can't be saved. Pride. Because listen, Jesus gives grace or God gives grace to the humble. But he resists the proud. He resists them. It's like the publican and the Pharisee went into the temple to pray one day. The Pharisee thought he was all that in a bag of chips spiritually, and God resisted him. But the publican, he he found himself a lonely little place in the temple of God, and he fell to his knees, and he cried out, Have mercy on me, O God, a sinner. Have mercy on me. You see, he realized he had nothing to offer God. Nothing. Except a broken and a contrite heart. A heart that was broken over its spiritual bankruptcy. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. This was an individual who was poor in spirit. He, under, he, he, he knew that he was spiritually bankrupt. He needed a Savior. He needed a risen Savior. Why did he need a risen Savior? So that he too could rise up in newness of life. You see, if we don't believe Jesus is raised from the dead, that's how you and I shall be saved. You understand? If you don't believe that Jesus is raised from the dead, you can't be saved. Because you too can't rise up in newness of life. The only way that you and I can ever rise up in newness of life is to follow Romans 10.9. It's to confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is the Lord of my life and believe in my heart that God raised Him up from the dead. That's how we're saved. That's how we are assured to stand in the right place before God. This is what you have to understand. If I am not poor in spirit, I cannot inherit the kingdom of God. The truth is salvation starts with a broken and a contrite heart, just like it did with the publican. Salvation starts with surrender. And I'm going to start bringing this to a close. 
But salvation starts with a heart that is like David's who cried out in Psalm 51 after recognizing his spiritual bankruptcy and taking personal responsibility for his life. You see, salvation begins with a personal, taking personal responsibility for your life. Salvation begins by saying the words that, that David said without trying to put anyone else in the balance, by trying to blame anyone else. But he cries out, just like the publican, be gracious to me, O God. Be gracious to me means, God, extend to me your unmerited favor. Be gracious, God, because I know I'm not worthy. Be gracious to me, God, because I know I deserve death and I know I deserve judgment and I know I deserve hell. But God, be gracious to me according to thy loving kindness. According to the greatness of thy compassion. Listen, blot out my transgression. Not theirs, not hers, not his. Not the one that did me wrong, not the one that abused me, blot out my transgression. Wash me thoroughly of my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, David said. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against thee and thee only have I sinned, David said. And I have done what is evil in thy sight, so thou art justified when you speak to me. And you will be blameless if you choose to judge me. Because he was just. Purify me with hyssop, David said, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Verse 9, hide thy face from my iniquity and blot out my sins. Or hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit in me. You see, this is what it means to examine yourself today. So you don't have to face God's judgment tomorrow. You see, David knew. David knew that if I don't examine myself today, if I don't allow God to come in, like he said in another passage, search me, O God. Know my heart, know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way within me. David knew that unless I I examine myself today, I might face God's judgment tomorrow. I might find God, face God's wrath tomorrow, and David wasn't about to go that route. Listen, in order to avoid the great white throne of judgment, in order to avoid God's wrath, in order to avoid those uh, judgments and have your name read in the book of life, we have to make more than a confession, church. We really have to allow God to convert us. We, we have to allow Him to take rule in our lives. Jesus said, listen, I'm trying to find a, a, a place to stop here. Jesus said this in Matthew seven thirteen to 14. He said, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. But the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and few will ever find it, the Bible says. How many of you remember that God said, when you seek for me, you will find me? When you seek for me with all of your heart, the Bible says. You see, the sad reality is lots of people will never find Jesus Christ because they've never sought for him with all of their heart. They'll never find him because they've never truly sought for him with all of their heart. You see, a lot of people will find a good church. A lot of people will find a good pastor. 
A lot of people have found their favorite parking spot and found their favorite pew. A lot of people will find a good youth ministry and a good children's ministry. A lot of people, church, will find a a, a good choir to sing in and a good ministry to be involved in without ever finding Jesus Christ. And it's because finding Jesus Christ is inconvenient. But how many of you know the cross was inconvenient as well? How many of you remember that Jesus said, like I said earlier, if you want to follow me, you've got to take up your cross, deny yourself, and then you can follow me. If you want to follow me, you have to remember that the birds of the air have nests and the foxes have holes to dwell in, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. I want you to understand to find life isn't easy. Jesus is reminding us today that there is a road that you must follow in order to end up at life. There is a way that you must go and a way that you must travel if you want to find eternal life. Listen, if the road you're on is easy, if the road that you're on, if the road you're on, you've never faced any difficulties, if the road that you're on, church, is, 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 is simple, if it's not paid with sacrifice and it's not paid with service and it's not paid with surrender, you have to ask yourself if you're on the wrong road. All I want to remind you, church, is that all of our lives will be weighed in the balance. Real quick, one quick story. There's a passage in Scripture, there's a story about a king by the name of Belshazzar, who was king or prince of Babylon. It's in Daniel chapter 5. And he had invaded Israel. You know the whole story. He had invaded the temple and he had taken some articles out of the temple. He was living under his own authority, living under his own rule, living under his own reign. And he decided he was going to throw a huge party he was going to party hardy one day, and he brought out all these articles that were, were taken in the, the defeat of, of the nation of Israel. And he was using them during this party, and while he was partying and drinking it up and having a good old time with some other hierarchy, the hand of God appears out of nowhere in the middle of the room and begins to write a message on the wall. And, and Belshazzar, he turns white as a ghost. Because he had actually been challenging God and mocking God, just like some of us do before we refuse to come to God. I'm going to live the way I want and do what I want and disobey God. And I'm, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And in the middle of this party, the hand of God writes, many, many tekel, parazan, or something like that. I'm not sure how you pronounce it. Turned white as a ghost and wanted to know what that meant. So he calls Daniel and, or someone else to interpret it and it says O Belshazzar you have been weighed in the balance and found lacking because you did not honor the God who holds your life in his hands and your reign has now come to an end and you see the reality is that every single one of us will come to that same place where God is going to put our lives in the balance just like Belshazzar was put in the balance and found lacking you and I are going to put in be put in that same balance And whether or not that tips in our favor or against our favor will depend on whether or not Jesus Christ is Lord in our life. Whether or not we have surrendered our throne to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You see, so the question is, when we are put in the the balance, will we come up lacking like Belshazzar? Or will will the scales be tipped in our favor where we will find rewards instead of wrath? So if you're here tonight and you say, God, I want the, the, the scales to be tipped in my favor.
I want to make sure that when I come to the inspection gate and you weigh out my life, I want to make sure, God, that I find reward and not wrath. If that's you, I want you to stand to your feet, because as you stand to your feet, what you're, commi- what you're committing to as you stand to your feet is, God, you're going to be my authority. You're going you're gonna to be my ruler. I'm going to yield to your authority and your kingdom. And my life is going to be more than a confession. It's going to be a true conversion. And I'm going to allow you to rule and reign in my life. So that when I come to the inspection gate, God, I can find reward instead of wrath. Amen. So if you need to get something right with God, you take a moment and inspect your life. No one knows what you need to get right better than you. No one knows what you've been playing around with better than you. No one knows what you need repaired better than you and God. So let's just go to him tonight. Father God, I thank you for your Holy Spirit that's in this place this evening. I thank you for the sweet spirit that we felt even earlier on when we were worshiping, Father God. And I pray that right now we understand that we are standing on holy ground. That we are standing in the presence of the Holy One of Israel. That we are standing in the presence of the one true God and the only wise God. That we are standing in the presence of the one who has the power to weigh our lives and to put us in the balance. You're the only one, Father God, that has that right. You're the only one that has that power. And I pray tonight, Father God, that if there's anyone here that has not been washed in the blood of the Lamb... If there's anyone here this evening, Father God, that has not submitted to your rule and your reign, that has allowed you to take priority on the throne of their life, that tonight would be that night. That tonight, God, right now would be the day of salvation because there is coming a day when every single one of us will have to give an account of our lives. Where every single one of us will have to stand at that inspection gate and have the books of our lives, the book of deeds opened up in our lives, and we will have to give an account of every deed, every work, every thought, every action, every choice, every decision. And unless one of those decisions, God, was to make you Lord of our life, we're going to find ourselves facing wrath instead of reward. So, God, I pray that you would forgive us of every sin tonight. I pray like David that you would be gracious to us, O God, and in thy loving kindness, you would wash away our sins. I don't care how deep or dark. I don't care how long we've been in them, Father God. You have given us an opportunity tonight to examine ourselves and to make ourselves right with you. And I pray that we would do that, Father God. So that when that time comes where we face judgment, it would be at the judgment seat of Christ where we would be doled out rewards, Father God, and saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. If we're not there, God, get us there. So we repent of our wicked ways, our stubbornness and our pride, and pray that you would make us right this evening. For anyone we know, God, that's not in this house tonight, that's not in the family of God, Give us a heart for them, God, a heart for their soul, a heart that breaks, knowing that they might one day be separated from you for all of eternity. Help us to be salt. Help us to be light. Thank you for your grace and thank you for your mercy. And all of God's people said.
Amen. Amen. Can we bless the Lord tonight, church, for His goodness and His grace? Listen, if you've had to make a recommitment to God, if it's the first time that you've committed your soul to God, tell somebody, tell me, tell the pastor, so we can keep you in prayer and make sure you're on the right path. If you have a special need, tarry with you, pray with you, otherwise go.